to the New Ears Podcast, an auditory exploration of the art of the album. I'm your host, Jonathan Humphrey. In this episode, we will be talking about the band Karaoke and their self-titled release. This is the most recent release we've covered on this show, and it came out in June 12, 2020. Karaoke is comprised of members of a few different Discord bands, but no- most notably Ian and Joe, both of Fugazi, and Amy, who played together with Ian in the Evens. We'll get a little bit more into the background of Discord Records and the conversation, so we're going to go ahead and throw it to that pretty soon. My guest today is the frequent New Year's collaborator, Raul Clement, and we really enjoyed talking about this album and found a lot in it, so listen along and enjoy. again i'm here with raul clement raul how are you this evening feeling pretty good excellent well as you know before we get into actually talking about the album here if you have a plug or a recommendation or a cause you'd like someone to be aware of but someone in specific tell that one person okay well i'm just going to tell you how about that okay so this is something that should be out by the time you're hearing this podcast so my old high school band well it bridged into college technically but kind of you know 16 to 19 years old when i was in this band um vacordia we are currently recording our first album in over 20 years so it's going to be a six song ep it's got a really cool concept behind it i don't know what it's going to be called but it'll be on spotify and uh itunes and all that stuff and and there'll be links in the show notes right okay awesome yeah yeah you know just three of us we're each doing two songs and our drummers contributing all the drums so it's kind of split evenly in songwriting and again i'm not going to go into the concept too much because that'll be explained on the social media where you can find it um and it's kind of it's it's, it's a cool inventive idea and i'm really happy so far with that way the songs are sounding so check that out Vicordia, E-E-C-O-R-D-I-A. That's awesome. I, I look forward to hearing it. Also, you and I might by this time have a song or something that people can find. Yeah, I hope to have uh, two by now. Yeah, I, I was going to say maybe a song or two. So we'll link that as well into the show notes so people can check that out if they want to. Yeah, you could check out uh, my music on the Suffering channel. It's on SoundCloud. Um, so you can search either Raul Clement SoundCloud or the Suffering Channel SoundCloud. And anything I do, whether it's Vicordia or the stuff I'm doing with you, Jonathan, is going to be up there. And then I imagine it'll be on, you know, your SoundCloud or whatever as well. So Yeah, by, by the time this comes out, I should have a, a few songs on a SoundCloud or something and people will be made aware. But let's move on to the next topic of discussion, which is still not quite this album. By the time this episode is released, it will no longer be true. But as we're recording, 
It is the year of the 40th anniversary of Discord Records. And the last episode that you and I spoke on was Fugazi. And this is Koriki. And I thought maybe quickly, just out of the top of your head, what are your three to five favorite Discord Records albums for a listener to go check out? So obviously I'm going to, I'm going to be uncreative here and I'm going to say Fugazi. Um, for me, End Hits would probably be the one. Again, I know Fugazi is the obvious band, but um, beyond this, so, so End Hits for them, though I really like the argument as well. And then I would say Q and Not You second album, Different Damage. That to me is right up there. Uh, what about you? Because I'm sure you're going to think of something. I'm sure you've already thought about it a little bit more than I have. So. Well, I have to say my number one and two, and I hope that I might have a special episode which covers both of them, is the Black Eyes discography. Yeah, that's good for sure. That self-titled album and their second album are some of the most inventive, brilliant post-hardcore I've ever heard in my life. And then I would probably put Fugazi's The Argument as number three. And then the other things I would, I would recommend just on my taste are both the first and second Q and not you album, really like they're both great. Yeah, absolutely. And then happy go licky, which is Guy and Brendan of Fugazi's like experimental band in between rights of spring and Fugazi. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's an overlooked thing in the sort of, uh, the Guy canon, I guess, you know, like, People, I think, know Rites of Spring, and of course they know Fugazi. Yeah. At least I always hear Rites of Spring talked about in like articles and stuff with the, the talking about the birth of emo and, and stuff like that. But Happy Go Lucky really never comes up. No, and I I really love the like the only album. It's not an album, so it could never really be covered on this show. But it's like a collection of live recordings and demos. Right. But it's so good, <laughs> and it's like. I, 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 but you know, Discord has had a lot of great bands. Neither of us mentioned Jawbox or Shudder to Think or an endless list. I really should have, I really should have included a Jawbox album, to be honest with you. Um, or Longfish, for that matter. Yeah. I mean, I would say that uh, I think it's the first Jawbox album that I really like. It's hard to pull up the uh, order of their albums off the top of my head, but you know, and obviously I like the album. I, I like the album, uh, yeah, for your own special sweetheart is good, but, um, the two before that, I believe there are two before that are also really good. Yeah. Well, let's move into something that's going to come up talking about this album or not. Something that's going to come up during the course of this album, and we might as well address up up front before we talk about the album. Let's talk about the Fugazi of it all. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say that you really can't discuss this without talking about Fugazi or even Minor Threat just like the whole, you know, Ian's whole trajectory. And yeah, and it's good that you brought up Discord Records for that reason as well, because for most fans, I think it's going to be inseparable. Like you can't, I highly doubt there are a lot of people listening to Corky for the first time who aren't Fugazi fans or Minor Threat fans or, you know, whatever, right? Like somehow connected to Discord, somehow connected to Ian's career, really. Exactly. And, you know, it's thematic with the last time you and I spoke or the last time people heard you and I have a conversation. We we talked about Fugazi's The Argument, the last album in their discography. And this is the closest we have to Fugazi since Fugazi? I would say so. I mean, the Evens is definitely, even though 
Corky also has Corky also has Amy Farina and uh, you know and then of course she was in the evens with Ian even though that's the case this music is more similar to Fugazi than that was and it may just be Joe Lally's inclusion well and that's true but what I was going to say is there's that other band the Messianics or whatever yeah 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 which was Joe and Brendan so that was the first band to actually have two members of Fugazi in it at the same time. And this is the second one, but this one is definitely the closest to Fugazi. And I think the reason for that is that Brendan, while being the drummer for Fugazi, wasn't really a songwriter for, for Fugazi. So the songs, those songs in, in that band didn't really sound like Fugazi to me. You know what I'm saying? No, they were great. They're awesome, but they're much more math rock. They're much more, you know, it's just not the same thing. Like, And of course, Joe wrote songs for Fugazi, but he wasn't the principal songwriter. So I think having Ian here being one of the principal songwriters from Fugazi, you can see the the chain a lot better. Of course, you know, Joe's bass lines really determined how Fugazi sounded. So I'm not saying he had no contribution. He's a huge, huge part of Fugazi. But to use sort of like easy, cheap comparison, it'd be like you've got the Beatles, right? And you've got John Lennon, Paul McCartney, right? And then you've got George Harrison, Joe would be the George Harrison in there where he wrote like two songs every album. You know what I mean? But he was like, when you, when you look through the Beatles discography, it's like John and Paul wrote this, John and Paul wrote this, John and Paul wrote this. Even if one of them wrote it, they always say that they both did. Right. So they are the band in some sort of way. Whereas Joe really is that kind of like, I mean, I fucking love his songs, but he's like the third songwriter to me. Yeah. Well, one last thing about the whole thing is, you know, there were times when Fugazi had a second percussionist. Yeah. Do you think there could be a Fugazi plus Amy? Yeah. You know what I think would work best for that? I don't know if she needs to drum. She could. Obviously, she could play drums. But I kind of just was imagining just her adding her singing because I think her singing works so well with this music. And just looking back on Fugazi songs and imagining injecting her voice into them, like it would probably fit in perfectly. I'm not saying I'm not saying she shouldn't drum. She's a really good drummer, in my opinion. But that was just something that crossed my mind at night of like, oh, some of these Fugazi songs would have been awesome if like imagine three vocalists, you know, or four with Joe. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, the one thing I, I let's let's actually start getting into the album itself. Yeah. Uh, my last little thing as a segue into the album is I enjoyed listening to this album. This is the most recent we've recorded an episode from the release of an album for this show. And I know we don't share this sentiment, but I really like this album. But man, do I miss Guy. Yeah, no, I mean, I do too. Guy's songs weren't necessarily my favorite, but it's the contrast that really matters. I, I don't know. I'm I, I kind of one of the reasons I did want to record an episode based around this album is for that reason that it's the most recent album we've covered. And I like the idea of covering something that came out within recent memory. As much as I like talking about kind of classics from, you know, our teenage years or a little bit later, whatever, you know, our college years, it's kind of fun to react to something we haven't heard a million times. Yeah, for sure. At least for me, this is almost like a fresh listen. I've listened to it a dozen times or something, but not a lot, like all the way through, you know, so. Totally. Well, I guess my first question about this album as a whole is, if we're looking at the title, it's the name of the band, what the hell does the name of the band mean? 
I was hoping you would know that. I've been Googling it, and the only thing that comes up is that band. Yeah, exactly. So I don't think we actually get any help from the title, but we have to acknowledge it at least, right? Yeah, and I was hoping it was like some reference that I just didn't know. Or or some acronym like Fugazi was supposedly. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I didn't know what Fugazi really meant for a while. I remember I was first time I ever heard the word outside of the context of the band. I was watching um, Donnie Brasco. Have you seen that movie? Mafia movie with Al Pacino and Johnny Depp. Yeah. Yeah. And they keep talking about something being Fugazi, which apparently in Italian slang means like fake. So I assume that Fugazi is just a kind of mispronunciation of that. Maybe it's not. Maybe. No, no. It's Vietnam war slang. Like foobar kind of thing? Like Yeah, it's fucked up, got ambushed, zipped in, according to what I know. Okay, okay. Because Fugazi is a thing um, as well. Yeah, but we I never found anything about the name of this band or this album. Yeah, so the point being, though, whatever your theories are about the meaning of Fugazi are, at least you have theories versus this band where it's just like nothing to go on. I wonder if it's just like, the last name of somebody they knew or something like that, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, there's no telling some kind of inside joke for all we know. In general, I would say that there's more crypticness to this band than I expected, even with some of the lyrics, but we can get into that. But uh, I wanted to know what the band name meant. And there's a couple songs later that I want to discuss. Like if you <laughs> found anything in your research about stuff, but well, what do you think this album says as a whole? Because for me, listening to it, the first couple times, I wasn't quite as sure what to make of it. Yeah. And, you know, part of the discussion is, is this like an album or of a collection of songs? And at times I at first was like, it feels more of a collection of songs, but I might have been just how new it was. Right. But I found some things that make it feel more albumy than I ever noticed at first. And I'm curious what your experience was with that. Yeah, I wonder like... So there's one thing that keeps happening in the album that I can't, I don't know how to interpret. Like so many songs seem like they're kind of a political song, but then it just says something about she and it makes it seem like a relationship song. There's like three or four songs where that happens. And I'm like, who the fuck is she? What, what does that mean? Like, well, this is my, this is, this is some of my notes about, I didn't have much to say about the album on top. I feel like it, there, there is a, feel of current thematically political but maybe i was going crazy and i don't have that much evidence to back it up and i don't know if it's intentional or if it's just a listener interpretation but i feel like some of these songs weave a narrative Mm -hmm. and that she is the main character of the narrative so sometimes the narrative is first person right and sometimes it's third person right and some are clearly third to me like like a clean kill, you know, the opener and stuff. Yeah. That seems like it's completely in third. But I also don't think every song on this album is part of that narrative. Mm -hmm. I do think there's stuff outside of it. So I think we we can get to that. I don't know what else you'd like to say about the album up top. Actually, I guess that kind of covers my main global thoughts on the album. I, I talked to you a little bit about this idea of these personal feeling lyrics being woven in with the political so we already mentioned that and then every other comment i have is more about like amy's singing voice or 
the production of the album. So I don't feel like that's worth getting into till the end. So Okay, well, great. Well, we're going to take a really quick break and be back to discuss this album track by track. So we're getting into our discussion about Karaoke by Karaoke, and we're going to play you a little snippet of the first track, Clean Kill. Clean Kill is the first song that anyone heard from this band recorded and uh, makes sense as a starting song to me. Yeah, totally. Uh, It was obviously the first song I heard by them and, you know, got me interested and a little bit excited about the album, even though it wasn't necessarily, it's, it's, it's not my favorite song on the album or even my second favorite, but it has a kind of familiar sound to it if you've been listening to Ian's music. One of my friends, actually, who really likes the album, talked about how he and his wife were driving along and they're like, oh, new, uh, you know, Ian music, let's put it on. And the chords start playing. And before he he starts singing, they just start singing the singing melody or what they think it's going to be. And then basically almost exactly that melody. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, it's definitely a single song too. It's, I mean, I, I really like it, but the thing I don't like about it is it is a little bit repetitive and simple compared to some of the stuff that comes later. I mean, it's got some interesting things going on, like the outro is the coolest part of the song for me. But um, other than that, it's kind of in this verse, chorus, verse format, and it's very song, not really screamy, you know. Um, I kind of say that I had a hard time picking standouts for this album. Mm -hmm. And I feel like part of it is because of how the songs themselves flow. It feels more compositionally in the music. It feels like this is a piece, and it's hard to kind of take the individual music by itself because... It does feel more like movements, but I did mark this as probably a standout for me. And I think, Interesting. I think maybe it is because it's one of the ones that has the most Fugazi feel to me. I could see that though. There is one later that I want to talk about. That's very Fugazi ish. Yes. And you probably have already guessed which one I'm talking about. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just, it's like an, again, it's one of those nice singing Ian songs that he started doing later in his career. Earlier in his career, I mean, he, he always had kind of singing songs, I guess, but it was a little more shouty. And then later in his career, he had the more kind of like, I don't want to call them quiet because they're not really quiet, but like. Well, maybe my position coming from this is that I really liked those first two Evans albums. Yeah. But this is almost the Evans song that I always wanted to hear. Interesting. Yeah, I could see that. Because I wanted it to get a little bit more rocking somewhere. Yeah, and I think that's why my favorite part is kind of towards the end when it kind of like lets loose a little bit more. You know, the verses are cool, but they're just definitely a little bit more laid back. And so I appreciate when you get a little bit more energy injected in the song. 
I wanted to actually ask you about the lyrics because like, what do you take from them? So I read them online and I read other people's interpretations of them online. And I don't want to say all of my thoughts are original here, right. but one of the reasons I see it as a standout, because if this album kind of plays out as I think it does, the reason this starts and the reason this is the standout is that this is introducing us to not necessarily the hero for the listener, but the protagonist of the narrative through this album. That's kind of what I was thinking when I was talking about this, this she character, you know, and it's interesting to me that in, on an album where you have a female singer as well, you've got this she character. And I wonder if that had anything to do with it or. Well, it might've, it might've helped. And I think in some places we'll, we'll talk about it more as we go on, but I feel like it might've helped being able to switch. Like we were saying earlier from third and first person. Right. So what I understand is this is a military person mm-hmm. who is a drone pilot. Yeah. So I think this album kind of tracks her life and how this position has affected her life yeah you know that makes a lot of sense to me actually um the terrible thing she's seen on her screen would be like now that you say that it's coming a lot more into focus because originally i was thinking about somebody like watching a tv screen and being desensitized to what they're saying but it's actually more like dropping a bomb on a screen yeah see and again that's that's what I got from other people. Cause when I first heard it, those first couple times, I felt the same way mm-hmm. you did. But then when I read a little bit of the lyrics and seeing what other people said, it like played out through this whole album to me. So yeah, she's a drone pilot and I guess career minded drone pilot. Yeah. Kind of so, so much of it makes sense. Like it starts with her literally like sitting there in this mundane kind of functionary situation where she's rinsing out her cup the next shift shows up like her replacement asked her what's been going on she said not very much you know so it's just somebody sitting in some control room somewhere watching a screen and then the person other person comes to take over just like you would at any shift right at at any job yeah but in reality she's been kind of witnessing death what do you think about this whole like when she stepped outside raised her eyes to the sky the fatal stares up there somewhere I think it has a double meaning, actually. I think it's like this idea of God staring down on us, but it's also like literally like bombs in the sky. And the drones. The drones, yeah. Drones flying overhead, you know, they have cameras on them, whatever, right? So I really like that image there. She's leaving basically her shift, and she's kind of looking up, thinking about these drones she's been operating and thinking about how they're up there still. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think with like looking at it that way, this song has a much greater value than when you're taking it alone. Totally. Yeah. It's not enough soap and water, never enough soap and water. Like, which is kind of a Macbeth reference, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Out, like it's out damn spot thing. Totally. Yeah. Because you have that, uh, you have that soap and water will never get rid of that spot. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's this idea of, I mean, that's what it is in Macbeth, right? This idea of never getting your conscience clean. Right. Like an actual, the physical spot there is like representing his Macbeth's conscience, right? Exactly. Because it's a clean kill, but it's not clean. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, now that we broke it down, I actually have even more appreciation for, I really like the lyrics on this album a lot, actually. But um, do you want to... um, move on to the second song yeah i think i'm ready to listen to track number two hard to explain you said you found a way to lighten you low you leave your engine by the side of the road 
so here's the thing there is a narrative in this album if you if you're looking for it whether it was put there on purpose or not but this song is not part of the narrative at all it can't be this one seems to be outside of it there's another song later that seems to be outside of it too the song inauguration day which we'll talk about later but they both seem to me to be larger political views maybe i feel like well this one specifically feels very personal to ian in a lot of ways interesting because i was thinking there's a larger political thing i was thinking almost the opposite just because of hard to explain feels like everybody's gone insane but i think it is personal and because things that are personal can still be greatly political and on grander scale right but specifically like the last line of the song makes me feel that it's really about Ian to an ex- to some extent. Uh, the very last line of the song, in case the listener doesn't know, is your position is you want me to fix something that you said I broke in 1986. And I think 86 was the revolutionary the revolutionary summer in DC hardcore. So is it like the year punk broke? Is that what he means? Like it's not the year punk broke. It's the year embrace and rights of spring and all like all that wave of, of, of DC punk happened. So he broke that in 1986. Does it mean broke as in like a negative way or like positive, like broke out? You know what I'm saying? Well, you can only imagine it's in a negative way. Cause it says you, it, your position is you want me to fix, but I don't know if, I don't know exactly what that means. That's the thing is this song feels really personal to Ian in a lot of ways. Like maybe the refrains, not so much, but moments within the verses definitely do. Yeah. I guess the reason I read a political meaning is it's because, because it says hard to explain feels like everybody's gone insane in the second verse. You found a purpose that's good for you. You found a leader in a politic too. Say you've got the answer. I don't agree. You got get no answer when you're cornering me. So it felt like almost when you combine that chorus with that verse, it feels like somebody we feel is he feels has joined some kind of kind of preachy cult almost. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I feel like that's applicable to the current moment, even if the song is more about his past, which I can totally see. But yeah, it definitely doesn't. It doesn't have the she character, and it doesn't really fit the narrative of the other songs so i i didn't really know what to make of it meaning wise the only the biggest thing that jumps out to me in my memory of this song whenever i think of it is the part that has the same singing melody as offspring self-esteem do you know what i'm talking about (laughs) yeah i didn't even notice it but as soon as you said it yeah yeah i don't this wasn't this wasn't one of my favorites on the album for sure. I, for me, it is that last line. I kind of love that line, but it's not because it's a really great line. It's, it's great in a kind of Ian way, the way he delivers it, I guess. Oh yeah. This is the part. It's like, say you got the answer. I don't agree. You get no answer when you're cornering me. Yeah. <laughs> you go away. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> Somebody needs to do the mashup. Yeah, exactly. No, but that that always just jumps out to me. Um, it seems to be, now that I'm rereading it, it seems to be, yeah, it seems to be more an indictment or criticism on somebody within his scene who he felt was self-righteous but hypocritical, right? Yeah. You found a purpose that's good for you. You found a leader in a politic too, but then we can jump ahead, right? So he feels he's getting preached to by this person. You said you found a way to lighten your load. You you leave your engine by the side of the road, paying all those people to polish your car, the car and the engine part obviously tied together. You think appearance is what takes you far. So it's almost like about somebody who is being performatively political while actually being 
kind of hypocritical a little bit maybe yeah and it and it does feel like someone that ian has some kind of relationship to even if it's a very distant one like just someone he had seen around before and then became this you know even in fugazi i felt like yes they wrote political songs but they definitely were a good percentage of them were addressed to people within their own scene and they were very pointed in particular you know i didn't always know who it was about but that's nothing new for him i don't think yeah no but i think and correct me if i'm wrong but i think it's probably time we went ahead and moved on to track number three say yes I don't want to say anything about this song until you say your first thoughts about it. Okay. So I really love it. Okay. That's good to know. I stand out for me. Part of the reason I really love it is because it's like Amy's first real singing song. So it's just the variety that you get in there, like the contrast between, you know, the first two songs, which were pretty good, but I almost wish this song started the album. I almost want to rearrange the album because I like this song so much and I think it would be a great opener. And so something about the vocals as contrasted to Ian's vocals, which you've heard so far, which I think we have heard her singing in the background before this. Am I right? I don't know. But well, yeah, everybody sings on Clean Kill. Right, right. But but it's mostly Ian's vocals are up front, I would say, on Clean Kill. Yeah. Like he's the lead vocalist and then she's in there. But that this one is like the first one that kind of prominently features her, I guess. So so that could be part of it. But then I just, I really like the singing melody. I just like everything about it, honestly. Well, can I say what I like about it? And I think it doesn't happen often, but I don't understand this song. I mean, musically, I understand the melodies and stuff of it, but like, I don't understand this song at all. And I think it's great, but I don't, I think that's part of what, not that it's the only thing, but it's a part of what draws me to it is I can't really make much sense of it. And do you think it's because she wrote the lyrics and we're used to kind of Ian's more blunt lyrics or what? I don't know if she actually wrote the lyrics, but I kind of assume they she did because they don't sound like Ian's lyrics. Yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, I've heard her lyrics on the evens too, and this doesn't feel like not to say that there wasn't stuff that I that didn't make sense to me, but the the I, something about it, I don't know if it fits in with the narrative, although you could say it does there's are there's things that you could you could like tack onto it but it'd just be a, a far-fetched guess really i kind of feel it does like because you've got this her that's this kind of cryptic like if i ignore her it'll be all over fast it's just that's coming up again and then there's this kind of like relationship subtext that a lot of the narrative songs have you know yeah and that's the thing is that and i think this continues as part of the theme is when you mentioned that Maybe I was way off base to begin with. I think this might be from the perspective of the the protagonist's husband or significant other. Right. Yeah, you could almost see, like, I'm not going to say it's about Ian and Amy or anything like that, but if it were, most of the songs would be from her perspective, whereas this one would be from his, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I, I think it is... 
if it is that circumstance, I think it is from this fictional drone pilot character or from her husband or, or partner or whatever. Interesting. Yeah, that I didn't even think of about that that way. I have some interpretation of the main lyric. Like it's almost like this idea that perfection is less interesting than mess. Beautiful is dirtier, beautiful is blurrier, beautiful is dirtier, beautiful is blurrier. But then then when it goes to the short, the shorter you cut it, the shorter it'll grow back. Say yes, if I ignore her, it'll be over fast. I don't really know what that means in relation to that. Yeah, for some reason, just because of what I have in my mind, I just think of military haircuts in that thing, that little stanza. I can see that. Does it feel like, it feels like the end of a relationship though too, right? The like... The shorter you cut it, the sooner it'll grow back. Like the torment is shorter, but shorter still feels so bad. Cutting somebody off, cutting somebody out of your life makes the torment shorter, but it still feels so bad. No, I think that has that is true. And as we get further into this album, if that's the case and that's how we're looking at it, it does definitely fit into this clean kill drone pilots narrative. Right. But I actually read a review before we... Um, started recording because i was just curious what people had said about the album and there was an interesting thing i think it was in the washington post probably because they tend to review discord type stuff and like you know stuff for this is washington of course right but it talked about the beautiful as dirty or beautiful as blurry or as like an anthem for the diy aesthetic and that's i think that was what where my interpretation came from of like stuff that's messier is more interesting and more beautiful and knowing ian's background of course too and you know having like his own label and you know these bands recorded pretty cheaply and playing five dollar shows i couldn't help but read in read in that meaning to beautiful as dirtier beautiful as blurrier well and i think it's either even if the narrative is intentionally there yeah i think that that still holds true within it has a double meaning there i just felt like this song there's there's several songs in the album that i feel like really hit for me for this reason one of the things i appreciate about this album production wise is how it it feels very much just like some people recording in a bedroom right it's very everything's clear and you can hear it well it doesn't sound bad but it definitely doesn't feel like some studio production. It feels loose in a kind of way, but in a, in a good way. And this song really hit for me, like the, the looseness worked perfectly with this music for whatever reason. Yeah, I agree. Did this, this song make you want to have a cup of tea? Uh, yes. And that's the next song. <laughs> Sorry, but no, it is a good song for a cup of tea, but an even better song is track number four, <laughs> have a cup of tea. I didn't note a lot of things that I was noticing musically for this album because I was really trying to figure out the other things to it. But I I will say this is one where I had a lot to say about the music. One, I really love the guitar noise at the beginning of this song. And then two, I love the bass breakdown in this song. Yeah, there's so much that's cool about this song. 
for me, this album really takes off at track number three. And then this song's really good too. So it's like, that's kind of almost why I wanted this album to start at three because three and four, I love so much. So this one with track four is like, it's centered around basically two chords, like, and they're like a half step apart. And it's kind of, it's not a chord progression you hear that often, but it's just two chords. It's very simple. But just when you think it's kind of going to do that, the whole song, it kind of switches halfway through and that bass breakdown comes in. And then the second half of the song is completely different. Yeah. I definitely feel like this song is part of the narrative. Absolutely. I mean, once we started talking about the narrative, this was the next song that came to mind as being clearly part of it. Like this is another song about war and it's about apathy and disconnect, right? Almost clean kill is about her conscience. This song is about, almost ignoring your conscience yeah and you know like we said if if our protagonist is career-minded and after all that they've been through because this song implies time is passing because i think if this song this album has a narrative throughout it it is chronological and so this song implies all this time is passing numbers have been run schedule you know so after so many kills she's just becoming numb and what is there to do have a cup of tea yeah having a cup of tea is kind of the like ultimate calm tranquil you know experience yeah like just uh you know this it's this kind of thing you do when you want to relax and just um and it's not really necessarily like i'm emotionally distraught i'm gonna have a cup of tea right but yeah report came in so much damage damaging to lessen the damage damaging to lessen the damage like that to me almost means it's almost the language of like preemptive strikes. Yeah. This theory of like, we're going to bomb these people so they don't bomb other people. And so things don't get out of hand, right? Well, it, exactly. But if you want to look at it two ways, because I think if, I hope this, like, this doesn't get back to Ian. He's like, this person's crazy that there's this whole story. I hope there's like, oh, they, nah. I don't know. I feel weird about it. But if this is a narrative and the career minded pilot, We've already hinted that the relationship has been souring by from say yes. Yeah. So it's still not over, but it's souring while all this time is passing. Right. So almost all the war imagery works doubly for emotional abuse and violence. Yeah, absolutely. And then I just to highlight the this verse specifically, I think seals both of it and shows this on a micro and a macro level within a narrative and beyond the narrative is the the verse the pressure's always on poison ever flowing living with the enemy living with the enemy living with the enemy living with the it's in our mind it's in the constitution it's in our house it's in our hands it's in our eyes it's in our blood it's in our it's in our dna so you can look at that like just about american behavior and society but then you can look at that, about that about a relationship in a lot of ways and then in our dna almost implies that there's a child involved yeah yeah and living with the enemy is a pretty powerful kind of like statement about a relationship going sour you know what i'm saying like yeah, so that all that all makes sense on a on a double level for sure what do you think about always mixing molotovs in solitude to me that's like again drone strikes and stuff but because you're by yourself when you're but trying to fix her score i didn't know really what to make of that i don't know i mean her score to settle 
I guess. Was it like number of kills? You know, I don't know. Like, yeah, it's it could be either one. I don't know. Anyway, I really like this song musically. I think this is. I said, let me bring up my notes for. Yeah, I think I think actually we kind of covered it like a great groove and that bass interlude and how cool that is. I forgot to say something about say yes, but oh well. Well, what do you want to say about say yes real quick before we go further on? I I meant to talk about that crazy guitar solo in the middle. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, that is good. Basically just noise and how cool it is. Like it's it's like the kind of thing just it feels like I don't know if Ian played it or not, but it feels like somebody was like, you know what, we need we need like a guitar solo here or a guitar breakdown here. And Ian or whoever was just like, I got this, but hadn't planned anything out. And then he just fucking hit a bunch of strings. But like in this magical way that actually works. Um, there's actually a couple moments like that on the album where, because it's not a rocking album overall, I wouldn't say. Rarely does it like really let loose and be like a whole kind of like, you know, this is a band like jamming out. So the moments when that does happen are really cool for that reason. Well, since we're going to be talking about moments that rock out, why don't we go ahead and play a little clip of track five, Too Many Husbands. So let's just say it right up front. This is the most Fugazi song on the album we were talking about earlier, right? Yeah, absolutely. That just that guitar riff, that super fast. I can't sing it, but you know, you know what I mean. The super fast uh, guitar riff there is like completely straight out of end hits. And the way they use the rest in it, absolutely. Um, I guess the the main difference between this song and um, and the Fugazi song would be having a different vocalist, but in terms of musicality like when you have joe in there playing his kind of fugazi-ish bass lines and you have that guitar part that almost sounds more gee-ish i always feel like in fugazi gee typically played those like you know faster strumming things at least when i've watched live footage i don't know but yeah i i mean maybe they just both fed off of each other so much in that band it's hard to see the line so what does the title of this song mean to you do you see this one as like part of the narrative or? I definitely see this song as part of the narrative. Right. Cause you mentioned in the last song, the implication of a child and there's a clear narrative here. Like if, if, unless we want to think of the lyrics as like metaphor, but they seem almost like very concrete, like so on. And now you want to take our son, right? It's like a custody battle. Like, is there any way to, interpret that besides a custody battle i don't i don't know yes and no but not really i i think that part specifically is very much a custody battle of if we're continuing this narrative this is from our protagonist's point of view right Mm -hmm. which is why it's great having amy sing it i think the too many husbands applies to both this person's literal husband yeah and all her superiors in the military right 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 teeny tiny teeny tiny mind undone i assume that's referring to people above her kind of trying to control her that are less intelligent than her or something you know like kid lost 
needy, 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 needy needs. I don't know how to interpret that. I think the second verse is more about her relationship with her child, like part of this coldness that we've explored in these previous songs. We haven't explored it with her child, but here it is. Unknown cookie cutter spilling out the, out the drawer. That's interesting to me because when we say something is cookie cutter, we usually mean it's like formulaic, like you have a cookie cutter existence, right? But I think it's, I think it's almost a literal thing of like, I'm picturing an actual kitchen with like, the stuff falling out of the kitchen drawer, you know what I'm saying? Like a house in disarray. Like, Well, exactly. And that's what's great about it just because I definitely see it like that too. But also just like what you're saying, like cookie cutter, you can argue military is cookie cutter. Yeah. They're supposed to be, the soldiers are supposed to be molded the exact same or whatever. So it works on both levels right there too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the first three, deep thoughts, penny, 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 lost. In the dusk on foolish artists working all alone is the foolish artist her or is it like her husband or what you know i'm not sure i would like to think it's her right but i it's it's very open to interpretation yeah but i i'm I, i'm definitely getting this much more concept albumy like narrative now about like you were saying about this military woman and her home life and how her her actions and the stuff she has to do in the context of the military negatively impacts her home life. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I didn't see that at first, but as soon as I saw a clean kill like that, everything kind of fell into place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of having the same realization, like because it was certainly not the way I thought of it either. I I, I had in the back of my mind there's this she character and what's that about? But because a lot of the songs are sung by Ian too, it's, you almost want to immediately assume it's a male perspective when it's a male singer. Right. I mean, so, and then when you dig into it deeper, it's like when she's singing it, she's the I character. When Ian's singing it, he's talking about her, like she, like a third person character. Yeah. I like the music for this one too. Um, I do too. And what's surprising is even though this is the most Fugazi song, it isn't a standout for me. I do like it a lot. Yeah. I mean, I, I really just like her vocals whenever they happen because she has an unusually low voice for a female singer. And there's something about that that's kind of pleasant to me. I, I don't know why I've always liked that. Like whoever it is really like it's, it's hard to think of a bunch of examples off the top of my head but whether it's like i don't know i'm going to bring in pop singers and stuff but like whether it's like miley cyrus or fiona apple or whatever i just really like that kind of like almost like it wouldn't be baritone because baritone's a male voice but it's like the equivalent in female voice like nico i guess it's like wait sorry is soprano higher or is alto higher i can't remember yeah, soprano, I think soprano's the highest because in saxophones, a soprano saxophone's higher than the alto saxophone. So I think it'd be like an alto female singer where it's not, they sing in a lower range than a woman normally would, but it's still higher than a male's voice. Right. And so I just appreciate that tone. And it's, it's a very unique voice that you don't hear a lot of people who sound like that. Yeah. Well, I think we're ready to move on unless we missed anything. Uh, I don't think so. All right. Well, let's go ahead and play a little sample of track six, BQM. There's a book about human behavior. It turned out that none of it was true. Still people read it cover to cover. 
felt like something that they had to do. A belly bull is still hungry. We're eating something, but it is not Menu operated by algorithm. It leaves us wanting, but not in the mood. So I think the the most prominent question when starting the song is what BQM actually stands for. Yeah. Yeah. That's my biggest question in my notes here is like, it's hard to interpret the song without knowing what the song title's about. And I have no idea. Well, we've been using the uh, genius site for lyrics mm-hmm. and somebody and the site recommends that it's an acronym for the line. I'm beginning to question my motives. I don't know how true that is, but I could see it when you're looking back at the whole song being that. Well, they got two upvotes, and that's good enough for me. <laughs> no downvotes. I make all my I make all my decisions by how many upvotes you get. If you get more than one, you're golden. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, the I don't I don't know. I mean, there's clearly a lot about cryptic meanings in the song, so that could kind of tie into it. Like it could be deliberately cryptic for that meaning. There is a lyric, I'm beginning to question my motives, right? So Yes. So it makes sense that that, that would be the acronym. It's just weird to leave out so many words in that statement. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like why not just have it be I B T Yeah. Right. right. Um, Can I say how I see this song? Because I see this song very weirdly. I will say this is I had four standouts for this album, but this was a standout for me. I really, really loved this song. But I think that the first verse is a uh, bit from the narrative. Mm -hmm. And then I think the second verse is more of a macro statement about like the world at large and stuff. And then the final little verse ties it all kind of together and is both at the same time. Yeah. Um, I can totally see the first verse being part of the narrative. It's almost like secret interrogations or something. The chair sitting in a secret location, need a password just to get you there. He, he, she, or they have something to tell you. I could almost see that being like an interrogation room or something along those lines. But on the other hand, the second verse seems to be about the shallowness of human existence almost yeah and i got i got to briefly say that those first four lines of the second verse which i'll read after saying that this might be my favorite lines on this whole album yeah it's badass lyrics that whole verse is really good actually but first four are great yeah yeah so for the listener the lyrics the first four lines of the second verse are there was a book about human behavior turned out that none of it was true still people read it cover to cover it felt like something that they had to do. The Bible, maybe? <laughs> yeah. The Bible, Freud, like, it could be applied to so many things. But I saw the second half of that verse as being about the kind of simulacrum we're living in, this kind of fake artificial reality, right? Belly full, but we're still hungry. We're eating something, but it's not food. Menu operated by algorithm leaves us wanting, but not in the mood. That can be about like online advertising and like, you know, just marketing and the way our whole existence is kind of all. But it also ties to the first part because in the past, we all handed down these books that we all took such great value and knowledge in. And now we're throwing it out there in even smaller, digestible little bits. Right, exactly. But yeah, yeah, it definitely just seems a commentary on contemporary society 
society, whereas the first part might be about kind of secret military operations or something a little bit more literal, whereas this is, you know, definitely more a global kind of perspective. With the third verse, do you think it's going back to the female character? I'm beginning to question my motives. The current current is over my head. I think it can be either way. I think that can both be the female character saying that and then whoever's making the observation of the second verse saying that. Right, yeah, just anybody who feels alienated from... And honestly, the protagonist could even be the person making the observation in the second verse. Right, right, totally. Well, uh, you have anything more to say about that one? No, I think that pretty much wraps it up for BQM. So we can go ahead and play a little bit of track seven, Last Thing. Last Thing. We ever wanted was a war, but we found it much too easy. Last thing we ever wanted. The everything comes sliding in. Leviathan, far too big to understand by design and... So... I think this song is the most straightforward song on the whole album. Maybe that's just me. No, I could see that. I guess the other contestant for most straightforward would be Inauguration Day. That's true. Like lyrically, at least. Exactly, lyrically. This one is fairly simple musically as well as lyrically, I would say. It's, it is one of the standouts for me just because I really like that main melody. So that, to me, is enough to sell it. Like just that, you know, the melody that starts the song, essentially to me is really pretty and catchy well and all three of their vocals being used in this song really effectively really helps it absolutely and then you know it's 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 straightforward lyrically i guess but it's not like dumbed down or anything no no but it's just very clear what this song is about right it's about war and how it's evil exactly (laughs) there's nothing wrong with straightforward yeah i mean it, it feels classic classic fugazi in a way lyrically even though the music is a little bit more mellow than fugazi might do normally but uh see it felt very mellow evens to me like classic evens right yeah yeah definitely with the music is is more on the even side of things yeah i mean i don't really have a ton to say about it musically besides that i really like that melody and it gets in my head and when you pull up the when you pull up the lyrics and read last thing we ever wanted was a war I immediately hear the singing melody, which is not necessarily true of some of the other lyrics. Yeah, definitely. It is a, a, a perfectly melodic song, and I think it's a good place in the album before these last four songs. Yeah, I mean, how much? Because again, I, I probably haven't listened to the... I don't know how much I've listened to the album compared to you, but how much would you say Joe is singing compared to the other two? I think Joe is on all the backing vocals or most of the backing vocals, not like the secondary vocals. Cause like, I don't know if that makes sense, but there's some Amy songs where Ian sings one line or something, but whenever it's, I think that when they use anything that's kind of chorusy or whatever, I think he's there. He doesn't have a lead vocal in any of the songs. So yeah, that's what I was going to say is like, uh, not a chorus is one way you could call them gang vocals as well too. In the music biz, that's what he usually calls it when um, like a bunch of people are singing the same part um, and it kind of sounds like they're all around one microphone. Right. He's typically in the background there with them, I feel like. You know, and he, he Joe's voice is like a good compliment because 
it's not as distinct as Ian's or Amy's. Like it's a much more neutral voice, I would say. Definitely. He he has that kind of like soft melodic voice, but it's not really there's nothing super distinct about it. And I think that that's almost good for backup vocals because you don't want your backup vocalist's voice to be too interesting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Well, I think it's safe to say we can we can move on from this one at this point, though. We don't really need to dissect the lyrics. They're not bad, but yeah. they're pretty out front. So we're going to go ahead and play some of track eight, Jack Says. So I definitely feel like this is another song that's away from the narrative. Maybe that's just me. Yeah, this is another another song about the kind of, I guess, shallowness of existence, kind of tying back two songs ago, maybe. On the other hand, it does have some references to like contemporary violence and stuff too, like packed into a vacuum, all sucked up, killed inside the classroom, all blown up so empty. But it definitely seems to, when you hear all wrapped up in plastic, the flavor so fantastic, so empty, you can't help but think of like songs like Fake Plastic Trees by Radiohead and stuff, right? Like this idea of just empty kind of synthetic existence. See, it's funny to me that you say Radiohead's Fake Plastic Trees because I, I see that when you say that. But my mind first goes to the crass and then later covered by Jeffrey Lewis song, I Ain't Thick, It's Just a Trick. Mm -hmm. Because so much of this song, and you're right, I, I didn't notice it before, but it does explore like school violence and gun violence. But so much of this song is about consumerism and product to me. And I just think of that crass song so much when I think about that idea. Yeah, but like, you know, Fake Plastic Trees kind of has that same thing too, of this just right. like it tastes like the real thing smells like the real thing kind of you know this vibe of just re replacing experience with some sort of th synthetic version of it so maybe that's not consumerism maybe it's just conformity or something but i think they're kind of along the same lines as a theme definitely w what do you think i mean who's jack i have no idea is that like the male character in this narrative you know or i mean we're, we're probably just reading too much into it but yeah i maybe it is but you know what it could be if we're gonna go really far into it and in my notes i didn't think the song was connected to the narrative mm -hmm. jack could be their son i could see that because there's there's those lines what did you learn today what did you learn today sit next to me sit next to me go away yeah 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 and if she's lost custody of her son and then comparing like terrible drone bombings where they you know blow up schools and hospitals yeah um i wonder about wrapped up in plastic if it's if it's really just about cheap consumer pro products or if it's supposed to be like somebody in a body bag or something you know i don't know so maybe it is more related to the whole war thing that we're thinking i don't know yeah also when i hear jack says i automatically think jane says like that <laughs> Was it early 90s song? Yeah, she, she don't mean no harm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I doubt it's related to that. But when I hear like, you know, it, because it has that same 
format as a song name than it has like a common male name versus the common female name right um again i doubt it's i, I doubt it's related but uh yeah that's this is not a song that like necessarily jumped out to me per se either like i have my standouts and then i have songs that it's just like that's pretty pleasant and this is definitely in the more pretty pleasant side i guess yeah i like this song fine it's not a standout it is sung by her right so that would kind of make sense if it's about her the, the female character's son it will kind of there's a reason she would sing it in that case you see what i'm saying yeah based on our reading of like who's narrating what anyway well i think we're safe to move on to track number nine Sheedlebop, Sheedlebop. I think he says it's Sheedlebop. When I read it, it looks like Sheedlebop, but Sheedlebop is how he says it in the song. So Sheedlebop. So this is my my final standout track for the album. I I really enjoy this song, mm-hmm. but as far as I can tell, this is also where the narrative ends for this album. Yeah, probably. This is one of my standouts as well. I have this one, last thing, say yes, have a cup of tea. I know this is like five standouts and inauguration day, but those are like, I really, really like all those. And then, yeah, so this is definitely one of the five out of 11 or whatever that I really, really love, which is good. You know, that's like half the album. So, but yeah, I mean, this is definitely continuing the war imagery for sure. And the uh, dissolved marriage imagery. Right. Yeah. And it's weird how it jumps back and forth. It's kind of hard to see it as a narrative because it seems to be taking place at two different times or something. But the but the different time periods that the narrative is taking place in are kind of connected through the we all stare at our hands lyric that keeps repeating, which I interpret as being about either helplessness or apathy. I can't tell which, but... Or both at the same time. <laughs> right. Like this kind of idea of you're left empty-handed, like literally, and then just you're staring at your hands because you don't know what else to do. But yeah, the, uh, you know, it starts with all this Apache landing in a dream, contractors scatter. This is definitely a war scene, right? Assume they're safe positions. You know, it's this helicopter landing and you've got government contractors, which they're frequently on this, on the military base sites, right? Like, um, assume they're safe positions, just what it is, not what it seems. We all stare at our hands, but then you jump immediately to this description of a couple. But let me interject that's what i think works so well about this if it is a narrative because it's constantly using both as separate parts of this this character's life but at the same time they're all the same so the first line and the fourth line of that first verse spells out that it it still could just be about the relationship yeah because the apache's landing in a dream just what it is is not what it seems yeah even assume their safe positions would, you know, work as well. Um, what do you think of the, maybe the seas are pressing more than stars? I didn't really know what that was supposed to mean. No, I don't have any idea about that. That's one of those lines that I feel like if I listen to the album 50 times, it would suddenly click into place what I think it means, but I don't have anything right now. You know what I mean? 
No, I didn't. I mean, I do know what you mean. I just don't know really where it is. But do you let me ask you before I say, what do you think about the third verse then? What is that about? And what does the titular line of this song mean? I look at it as kind of, so you've already established this position of helplessness and apathy through we all stare at our hands. And this line, cheatily bop, is like, almost ironically undercutting everything that's been said so far. It's kind of like, oh, we have nothing to do, sheetily bop. It's this kind of like almost this 50s song. Like, you know how all the songs, not all the songs, but there's so many back then that just had a nonsense lyric. Yeah. And it's it's kind of really shallow and vacuous. And so it's this like vacuous response to, it's like a, almost a shrug of the shoulders is what it sounds like to me. I don't know. See, I, and I agree with that. I feel like I see it two ways. Mm -hmm. so i think she kills her ex-husband interesting two people lying one in the road yeah i did i wasn't sure if that was about a bombing or if it was about the couple you know like anyway i think that's the thing is i think these lines are all about both right because the order was given in a code the order was given in hopes of transgression definitely applies to the militaristic aspects of things right but then also like if you look at that as someone who is military-minded they set up some interaction with their ex just this person's obviously at this point pushed right right and so they were hoping for some the hopes of transgression and found a reason to kill them and then these last few lines is kind of the narrator summing up the narrative and then like you're saying that's a kind of a nonsense word it's kind of like she went crazy like it just snapped there's no like logic to it but then almost the people line up to be a cast of thousands that's almost more about the military again right well yeah exactly because it's the narrator almost summarizing or telling you coming in and telling you the moral of the story right maybe the question is what's using who again yeah that's that's related to the military as well i really like that two people lying one in the road is a very clever lyric <laughs> like a couple lying to each other and now one of them's lying in the road <laughs> right yeah when I listen to this song again tonight, I literally LOL <laughs> when uh, when he says Sheetily Bop. You know, the first time he almost like Ian screams it. Yeah. Because it's so absurd. Like, it's so Ian in a way, but the, the word just, just going like Sheetily Bop is just like so <laughs> ridiculous. Like, it is. And then it becomes less ridiculous as he repeats it, right? Because he sings it in a more like, singing melody but just that first time is like i don't know if he intended it to be funny or not because ian has some humor but he's not he's not necessarily the most humorous guy you know he, he takes himself very uh seriously but yeah it, i just i just wanted to say that it just made me laugh <laughs> yeah no i think that's great but yeah i think if there is the narrative intended or if we just completely constructed a narrative either way it's successful but it ends here so we're going to play a little bit of track 10 inauguration Temporary 
So you've already said the name of the song a couple times. So what do you what would you like to say up top about this song? I mean, it's a pretty straightforward song lyrically. It's definitely just literally about inauguration day. The title says it and it's about Trump's inauguration and you don't need to get too much deeper into it. I just think it's as concrete as it is. It's very clever within that concreteness. First of all, it offers the kind of outsider view. It's not like a Democrat view. You know, it's more in line with my politics or probably your politics too, where this sort of arbitrary changing of the guard, you know, and this pageantry that goes around it and how everybody acts like it's this thing that's going to fundamentally change the world. Yeah. And how really it's a lot of it's theater. Right. I love the repetition of of pageantry in this song, how blunt and cutting it is. Mm -hmm. It does obviously talk about the situation at hand with the inauguration day, but I feel like a lot of Ian's complaints about society can be summed up with that word. Yeah, yeah. Even going back to like the second song, and it's I think one of the things that maybe is something that draws me to his work is because I personally am not a fan of pageantry, but I think a lot of people are, and I don't think it's necessarily a problem to be a fan of pageantry. It's not a problem to be a fan of anything, but to some extent, you got to recognize it for what it is, at least. Yeah, recognize the kind of falseness in it. But yeah, people definitely get very wrapped up in like ceremony and, you know, people watching, you know, whatever Joe Biden's, you know, victory speech like it really means something but those are people who just i think buy into the traditions of mainstream society more than i do or ian does and you know when i I wish i was like uncynical like that but i am cynical and like (laughs) yes that's why i relate to ian's point of view on something like this you know and you can almost read it as him saying the protesters are pageantry too if you want yeah there's some people here to see you. I don't think they agree with you is a funny lyric to me. 100,000 strong standing out on the lawn, right? Yeah. People outside the White House. And it's that's such a funny understatement. Like, I don't think they agree with you. 100,000 of them, you know, like basically it's humorous in itself. But then he's undercutting it by saying that's pageantry. Because he's first he describes the scene of, um, you know, Trump being sworn in as pageantry. And then he describes the scene of the protest as pageantry too. So it's this very outsider point of view that I appreciate. Yeah. And then I just think the music is badass as well. Like there's this guitar part in there that I just love that comes up every once in a while. Very dissonant. It's kind of reminiscent of some of the slower songs on end hits. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there's just like he hits these really cool, perfect notes that make the chords more interesting. Like, because... The notes that he's hitting in this guitar part technically aren't in the chord. So they're 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 a little dissonant. Not dissonant in the sense of like, oh, that's really unpleasant and so clashing. There's something about it. It's just like this momentary clashing that's then resolved that's really pleasant. Yeah. It's interesting to look at this song now in the in the context of the narrative and think about how it doesn't fit the narrative. And you wonder if it was written earlier or later or what, you know? It may have very likely been written first. I think people in the military tend to have, some can get very into like party politics or whatever, but I think a lot of people in the military is like, it doesn't matter who's the 
president, like the orders are the same. And so if you wanted to say it was from that character's viewpoint, you could as well, but I don't, I don't choose to. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could see it as like, cause the military has its own pageantry and stuff too. So I guess you could see it as maybe a commentary on the narrative, not from one of the point of views, but like zooming out a little bit. Yeah. Taking a step back after the narratives kind of ended. Yeah. Which I guess you could even see the final song as being that too. We can move on to that one. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's, before we continue, let's hear some of Woulda Coulda, which is the final track on this album. They definitely zoom out, but this is the darkest song on the album, without a doubt. Also the longest one, which is appropriate to put it last, I guess, um, for that reason. You could kind of see this one as being about some foreign country that's been bombed, almost, or something. I don't know. If you want to fit it into the narrative. Yeah, I think, first off, what's scary is that this song could be literal at some point in time. This song is it could be taken as a literal warning mm-hmm. uh, of how we're ruining our planet, right? Right. You know, I, I thought about it that way. I was also thinking about it just as in like the state of a country like Iraq or something that we've destroyed where there's no water because there's this stuff about the bounty and all this stuff. And like that to me seems like bounties on people's heads and stuff like that that are common in those situations and that makes perfect sense to me too the other thing is just the feeling of the music and the feeling of the vocals this song can be taken literally but it also can be taken really metaphorically right like water is an essence one of the most necessary things for life you know so if you take it on like not a spiritual level like but a spiritual level i guess or just like humanity's running out of this essence right so the woulda, coulda, shoulda is like basically humanity looking back on all the things they should have done to save themselves, kind of, in a way. Yeah. Which I guess is an appropriate zoom out for the rest of the album. It's like if you have this album that's focused on this very individual drone pilot woman's experience and her regrets and her personal story and conflicts with her conscience... And then at the end, you zoom out to look at the president's inauguration. And then you zoom out even further to say, oh, here's the year 2200 and we're out of water. You know, like that could be a really cool narrative in a way that I don't necessarily think they maybe saw it that way. But there's almost like a movie in there that you can picture in your mind's eye, right? Of like this very personal narrative interwoven with the political one that then zooms out at the very end like the camera pulling away from earth almost yeah i I mean i definitely feel that but this song does give me a very dark feeling i mean it just sits really deep with you yeah or at least for me yeah it's a very depressing song musically too i feel like i don't know if it's like it's not like it has more minor chords than the other songs or anything like that it's just Something about the way it's sung, you know, that it's very 
low-key, almost droney, maybe a little bit. And the drums are not I, lethargic isn't the right word, but there is kind of some of that in the drums. They're kind of sparse, if I remember correctly. And again, like it's hard to pull up all the details from memory, but just like these kind of sparse hits, you know, that are like, yeah, you know, it's not necessarily this like steady kind of like driving beat. Yeah. Well, I think that brings us to the end of the track by track. Yeah. Now that we've gone through it, is there any like last thoughts, things we missed through the album? No, I mean, overall, it's really nice to have an album that feels a little bit like an extension of Fugazi, even though you don't get Guy's influence, which, like you said, is something that if you're a Fugazi fan, you would definitely miss because I feel like Guy has a little bit of the more biting sarcasm and, you know, just he he kind of sings in a character voice. He has a very distinctive energy. Right, exactly. Whereas, you know, Ian Ian can have some biting sarcasm and stuff too, but he's a little bit maybe more self-serious or something. But having Joe Lally be part of it definitely just made it sound a little bit more like an extension of kind of what we've heard over the years from from Ian. I guess. I think I already touched on what else did I like? I already touched on um, the production. I liked that it's it doesn't try to do anything very fancy with the production. Most songs are just like four instruments, you know? Yeah. Maybe even three, you know? It's just like a couple singing parts, bass, guitar, drums. That's about it. Not adding any like strings in the background or like a piano or you know um there's just really not much that's too complicated to it song structure wise a lot of them follow similar formats but they're not just the generic like verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus kind of thing it's it's usually actually i don't know if you notice this but it's like verse chorus verse chorus outro right every song not every song or verse verse chorus right first chorus chorus after yeah, but they almost all have this tag which i thought was cool like where there's the last like 30 seconds or minute of the song is like a completely new song yeah and so i thought that was an interesting kind of formula or format that actually dates back to fugazi a little bit like with songs like epic problem where it just switches to a new song halfway through right i mean yeah i think that covers my main thoughts we're just like i like the way it fits into the sort of ian verse <laughs> i like that it almost has the feel of a demo in terms of production yeah it definitely feels like they want it more to sound like a live performance than a recording right and yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, there's an argument and a use for either one of those approaches, but I feel like with what they're doing, this is the better approach. Absolutely. And I feel like if they really wanted to, I mean, they have the resources, they could make it sound more studio-ish if they wanted to. I mean, Fugazi albums sounded more studio-ish than this. They didn't sound like super produced, but I'm pretty sure all this was recorded pre-pandemic because I know they formed in like a while ago like 2015 or something crazy yeah it was it was pre-pandemic and it was more like they recorded the album before the pandemic then they delayed releasing it because of the pandemic is what i had heard yeah so i don't think that the 
kind of lo-fi production as a result of having to like what I'm working on with my album now where me and the other songwriters have to just we're limited to what we can do in our bedrooms right because we're not going to studios we're also in different states so that right but but the point is like you know that can be a limitation but I don't think that was their limitation I think it was more that they just wanted to sound a certain way and didn't need a big production yeah and it definitely paid off so one more question for you and then we'll wrap it up Mm -hmm. but if someone came to you and said they liked this album, what album would you recommend them outside the Ian-verse? Hmm. That's really tough. Um, it's going to sound really weird, but I would say the Folk Implosion. Do you know the Folk Implosion? A little bit. Yeah, so like Lou Barlow um, from Sebado and Dinosaur Jr. And it's his more like, eight tracky sounding kind of uh you know lo-fi stuff um there's one particular album that i used to have that's really great uh, it's called take a look inside so yeah okay not political at all like um you know quirky is or however we're pronouncing it but it's got a little bit of the same vibe of being like very bass forward and very stripped down Okay, excellent. Uh, so anyone who liked this album should check that out. My recommendations come in a little, or my scenarios come a little bit differently. I kind of mentioned it earlier, but this is very, I'm giving things on a scale. So I guess on one side, if you want to lean more in one direction, something worth checking out is the Jeffrey Lewis album, 12 Crass Songs. I can see that for sure. Yeah. Be- because not only is there kind of a folky stripped down feel, but it's also super political. Mm -hmm. And then on the other end of the spectrum, maybe if you're unaware or just need a good re-listen, the, uh, is it the first violent films album? The one with blister in the sun and all that. Yeah. 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 I feel like that's, that's musically, that's a very similar feel to this. I would say that folk implosion album I mentioned is definitely influenced by the violent films. So, you know, it's all kind of in the same realm of like, just minimalist folk punk or post-punk kind of, you know, vibe. All right. Well, this conversation has been great. Raul, thanks for being here. Yeah, no problem. I look forward to talking about other albums in the future. Yes, and that will be happening before you know it. So we're going to sign off now. we come to the close of another episode of new years we really hope you enjoyed the conversation in next month's episode we'll be listening to war babies by hollow notes even if you think you know hollow notes listen to this conversation and album it's a little something different just wanted to remind everyone that in the show descriptions you can find out where to catch us on social media please like and subscribe and review the show and feel free to write into us We do have a write-in show coming up, so if you want to be a participant in that, please reach out to us through email. Thanks so much for listening, and take care.
Podcast is an Abandoned Mascot production and part of the Abandoned Mascot Network, a loose affiliation of podcasts for media arts creators and connoisseurs. For more information, follow us on Twitter at AbandonedMasco1. That's Abandoned, M-A-S-C-O, and the number one. Thanks for listening.